So, you know, we're trying to stick to the original thesis of the podcast. And we had a great idea. We had a great idea. We did set out with a good idea. We set out with a great idea because the new, highly regarded Star Wars show, Andor, is clearly paying homage to some of the things I grew up with. Right? So it's got Samuel excited, I'm excited, there's the, the two generations, but some of these episodes are clearly a distillation of some of the, you know, goofy stuff I saw on Saturday afternoons when there was no cable and no internet and you just watched these B movies. But then we were like, okay, but the original thesis of the podcast is we want to watch what was in the canon. So of all of those, like... World War II 70s heist movies like The Dirty Dozen and Where Eagles Dare. Like the one gem that starts all of that is The Guns of Navarone. But then we saw that the 70s sequel stars Carl Weathers. Yeah. We got distracted. And it was free as well. It was free on YouTube with ads. So this is one of those rare times where I can endorse watching a movie for zero dollars and zero cents so So instead of watching the oscar nominated guns of navarone we watched force 10 from navarone and that's going to be this podcast i'm bentley and i'm samuel and this is the review podcast man uh so yeah so we just jumped into kind of the deep end of the pool or the uh wet end of the dam if you will (laughs) And uh, we were just like, yeah, no, because I've never seen The Guns of Navarone. I've never seen it, so I put forth the idea of watching that. And, yeah, we just got distracted. We just kind of started looking stuff up, and we are like, oh, it's like $6 on Amazon. I don't know if that's worth it. Um, And then, yeah, we saw that Force 10 from Navarone was free. And, obviously, we've talked a lot about the art of the sequel, the art of the continuation. How does these stories perpetuate themselves? And so we were kind of curious, you know, because obviously if it's 1978 and I'm an eight-year-old kid who's just seen Star Wars and my my world has been completely changed and the next summer my parents want to take me to another movie, like, they're going to take me to that. But I've never seen Guns of Navarone, so this has to stand on its own. This has to be able to stand on its own anyway. So it's not like we're just uh, picking on Force 10 from Navarone. This is something that was deliberately... Well, like, if your parents tell you, we're going to go see a World War II movie starring a swashbuckling Harrison Ford in 1981, that movie's very different from that same description in 1978. Oh, yeah, no, it also marks... It's it's a great (laughs) example of how the industry is shifting. You and I talked about the fact that so much of this movie is based on the chemistry of Robert Shaw and Harrison Ford, who are the old school and the new school of Hollywood coming yeah. together to make a film that is very clearly kind of a passing of the torch. Kind of like, okay, movies have been dominated for a long time by these really classy guys, these British-trained actors, and now we've got this new class of action, you know, American movie stars represented perfectly by Ford who doesn't come from an acting background, who doesn't have this classical training, and to see them bounce off each other in front of the camera like that is really interesting, I think. And it it really illustrates the tension that the movie itself is trying to get across to you. I want some credit because I showed you, like, the really good stuff that came from all this goofy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, 
I, if I had to show you a World War II movie from the 70s, I raised you guys on a bridge too far. Yes, of course. Right? By of course. Attenborough. That is a classic, wonderful, broad, epic movie. It's not one of these, what shall we say, you know, action picks. Like when you watch Force 10 from Navarone, you're thinking, well, this is just Predator without the alien. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? So Hollywood has this kind of buddy pick genre thing. And sometimes it's a Western. In the 70s, it was a World War II movie. In the 80s, it was Aliens. But it's the same movie. It just keeps yeah, yeah. repeating. And then when you guys came along and we could share movies, it turned into Chicken Run. Yes, Chicken Run being the distillation of all of these 70s escaped heist World War II movies that that takes the entire verve and action of these films and distills it into like what an hour and 15 minutes an hour and a half at most i love chicken run it's so good chicken run's great but we're not we can't get sidetracked oh, okay. entire chicken right. run podcast. well so after you guys really loved chicken run then like yeah. i there was an attempt several years ago to like go back and like well maybe we could have goofy fun with these 70s movies and we tried to fire up where eagles dare yeah, and it I was think we, so I think we, bad i think we made it through 20 minutes maybe not even <laughs> so bad it's awful it's terrible and and force Hand from Navarone is not that bad it's really important that we establish that That's going true. in it's, it's not, not that, that bad, bad. But looking at it through modern eyes is still really difficult because, I mean, again, we've had 20 years since Saving Private Ryan. We've had 20 years since Band of Brothers, 15 years yes. since uh, The Pacific. And that stuff just, it, it, it just it negates almost all this other stuff in terms of the authenticity Yes, the, because the dirt C- under the fingernails. Yes, the the CGI is so good now; it can actually be more authentic than these movies, which had no CGI. You know, it's clear when they're using models. It's clear when they've repainted the Soviet tank. Yes, the <laughs> Germans know. using a lot of T thirty fours for some reason in this one. <laughs> you know, at the beginning of this genre, which is basically Guns of Navarone and uh, The Longest Day. You know, you actually have some actors who were in World War II. Yeah. So I, f- I always found that fascinating, right? As somebody uh, who was way too young to, to know these guys. Um, but by the time, you know, 10 years go by, you get to Force 10 from Navarone. You know, Harrison Ford has nothing to do with World War II. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> so it is, as you said, the passing of the torch. But now... We get things like this episode of Andor. I mean, like there's that four episode arc that is just basically, you know, the Dam Buster. Yeah, Star it, Wars Force Ten from Navarone. That's what it is, and it's so technically good, and and it's fun and it's diverse. You know, here the diversity is Carl Weathers yeah. and a bunch of white guys. Yeah. But the who good, are yelling at him a lot? Yeah, and calling him idiot. Man, I wanted to see him haul off and clock one of those guys. It's, but you know, yeah, the the stuff with Carl Weathers is very weird. Um, you know, like you can tell that they're trying to do better, but they're still doing better. <laughs> like in, in comparison to other Hollywood stuff, which well, we won't get into. But like, you know. Carl, Carl's, Carl's doing good. Let's make that clear as well. Carl's holding up his end of the bargain. There's a great scene here where he basically says, we're not leaving until somebody treats me like a person. Like an equal. Yeah, like an equal right. here. Yep, that's right. And it's a really tense scene. Yeah, yeah. And he just does it beat for beat. And it really, really emphasizes the point that uh, John Favreau made in the making of The Mandalorian, 
where he specifically would instruct the other actors on set, watch what Carl Weathers does. Mm. That's a movie star. Yeah. And you can see it here. As early as 78, mm. it's right there. In fact, I think he's giving a, a better performance than Ford is. I think, I think Ford so too, is actually. I, I I wouldn't go so far as to accuse Ford of sleepwalking, but like he's just Harrison Ford. He always plays Harrison Ford. He does, and that's more or less effective depending on the script that he's given. If you write to Harrison Ford, that's fine. But if you're not writing, if you're writing him as a generic, you know, it, it, he has none of the grit or hard assness that I would expect from a supposed army ranger. He's correct. He's, He's just clearly a carpenter, as all of <laughs> as all of Harrison Ford's characters are to varying degrees of success and charisma. Yeah, and uh, you might watch this movie and go, "Where's Indy's whip?" Yeah, no, but it's they. they but again, they haven't figured out what to do with him yet. Yeah, he's had this big couple, breakout with Star Wars. A couple years away. Yep. You know, he's in American Graffiti. He's very memorable in that, despite his smaller role. Mm-hmm. But. Hollywood can't quite figure out what box to put him in yet, not realizing that he is the box. <laughs> he is the Harrison Ford container. But Shaw is really the one who's doing the heavy lifting. I here. love Shaw. And of Shaw's... course, he's just coming off of Jaws, a role that everybody remembers him for. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also in these earlier World War II picks that you know were filmed where you could still actually get Spitfires up in the air. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I mean, not for this film. This film has <coughs> so much stock footage. It's stock really, footage, yeah. uh, it's 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 not offensive because obviously it's what they had to work with. But man, it's like so much lower in in like you can see the film grain on it, and yeah. you can see. Yes, you can. I will say uh, before we go down the path too far of of knocking this, I do want to say I really did like, and you liked the intro to this film, which is kind of like a. Last time on Guns of Navarone, like oh, fuck, yeah. where they edit, you know, Shaw into the Gregory Peck role for like a Correct. scene, and it's quite good. It's quite mm-hmm. seamless. Mm-hmm. It's you know you can tell clearly they're reusing footage, but they went to the effort of like, okay, we know you know that this character was Gregory Peck before. Here's Robert Shaw in those scenes with that blocking, getting coffee as they're being rescued. Mm-hmm. It's quite good. I yeah. thought that was really very clever yeah. and very well done. Yeah. Um, the director of this is a veteran of a bunch of Bond movies, and and mm. those fingerprints are all over this. Yeah, thing. especially near the in the final act. Yeah, right, right the climax. Yeah, <clears throat> and you were talking about how like it's it's clearly not some sort of German dam. This is like a modern waste treatment facility somewhere yeah. in northern Europe. I think they actually caught some of the live. <laughs> employees on camera i don't think they cleared the set actually. yeah yeah no they didn't block it off properly but like it's got the actor who played jaws the bond villain yeah. it's got a yeah, bond girl good. in it you know mgm yeah. is just you know they've got like three or four people and we're just cycling them we're just around, cycling through putting That's them right. in different funny hats you know well but you know what at least the funny hats uh, is part of uh, a World War II theater that really doesn't get a lot of attention by yeah. Americans. And you can speak to this. I'm really interested. Well, my first trip overseas was to the former Yugoslavia, right? Well, it was still Yugoslavia. Tito had just died. Uh, it was right after the 1984 uh, Winter Olympics. Um, but most Americans, if you said Marshal Tito, they, they'd say, is that a store? Yeah. Uh, and they reference him. Like, the, he's not on camera. His, his character is not on camera. But... This whole movie is set in Yugoslavia, and I thought that they, I don't know where they filmed it, but the landscape was pretty close. And, you know, major props to this movie in 1978, 
showing basically communists as the good guys, yeah. right? They call them partisans, but they've got the red star on their caps. They were our allies they, against the Nazis. And they were communists, yes. I mean, Tito, after the war, is one of a handful of nations that's not closely allied with the West or the East, mm-hmm. right? Like, he operates in between the Soviet Union and the United States. He absolutely, for decades, maintained this independence. And you can say what you want about him, you know, as a leader. Some would call him a dictator. But he was on our side during World War II, and I think there's uh, some credit to this movie for having that level, that little texture to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that's what makes this different from some of these other, you know, very schlocky action movies. It's... I don't know. I think I'm fascinated with this stuff because I was a kid when this stuff was on Saturday afternoon TV. But, you know, some of this stuff really is unwatchable, like Where Eagles Dare. Even though yeah. that's it's got Richard Burton in it, but it's so obviously like backlot Hollywood and the explosions are ridiculous and the plot is ridiculous that like any little thing that elevates the story, yeah. like we're pointing at in this movie, you're just so thankful for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, Hollywood doesn't change much. In the 80s, there were all these schlocky kind of sci-fi movies, right? They had just turned the World War II genre into, oh, Alien worked. Yeah. And The Thing was a cult hit. So let's do that. And that's why, you know, this movie is basically Carl Weathers' resume to get him into Predator, yeah. which you love. Oh, I do love Predator. Love Predator, Predator, you love the the Predator version of this same plot. Yeah, yeah, no, and and again, uh, comparing it to Andor is, is is more than appropriate. It's this is where all of that stuff comes from. You know, mm-hmm. this is the story mm-hmm. we were talking about. How there's only you know five or six plots. Correct. And you just recycle them and remix them a little bit, and I think uh, the only. You know, part of this movie that really falls flat for me are some of the performances. Because I think the plot is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And while we can laugh about, you know, the Germans using T-34s, that's a detail most people are not going to pick up on. Correct. And it's not really, you know, this is not a movie that is claiming to be a historical document. So it's Mm -hmm. not fair to ding it in that way. Mm -hmm. What is fair to say is that Harrison's not giving his best. Um, There's a couple other actors who are just kind of phoning it in or over-exaggerating, and the very worst offender of that is, unfortunately, the commander of the partisan troops, yeah. who has is a couple supposed of... supposed to be French? I don't, I don't know, know what is what going on that with accent? that dude, but, like, <laughs> he's got an important role. He's only in, like, three scenes, but those are important scenes. Those scenes need to land so yeah. that you understand how this mission is progressing, what the stakes are, what the threat is, and he gives you nothing. There's mm-hmm. nothing for you to do. So because he can't hold the scene, right. Harrison doesn't care, yeah. Shaw's doing his best, but Shaw can't be a one-man ensemble, no matter how good he is. And well, you and I talk all the time about the character actors who make those scenes memorable. Absolutely. Right? You've got to have conflict. Everybody has to hold their space, whatever that space is. Mm-hmm. And that's no how small you, parts. No small parts. And that's how you get a great scene. And yeah, his scenes are just a washout. Yeah. So. Uh, but I'll tell you what I like. You know, another a genius part of making this, say, different from Kelly's Heroes. That's yeah, yeah. another yeah, one yeah, that, yeah. like, Uncle Bob would talk about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, you look at the casting of something like Kelly's Heroes, and on its face, it's ridiculous. Telly Savalas, Donald Sutherland, is, I think Clint Eastwood is in that one. I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. <laughs> You know, these these big star kind of buddy uh, caper movies, you know, they just got ridiculous. 
But when you show like this partisan thing, it lets you bring in people like Barbara Bach, mm-hmm. who literally had just been a Bond girl, but here she's kind of a badass. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the movie, they literally show some women in the partisans, which is historically accurate. And worth commending. Yeah. You know, nice, nice of them to show it in that way. Um, would have been nice for some of the other extras to shave their sideburns for these roles. But, you know, <laughs> 70s fashion as 70s fashion does. Um, yeah. But, no, it's like the, the overall plot has a lot of really mm. good twists and turns. And it's a nice mix of character-driven plot and circumstance-driven plot. Like, there are some circumstance stuff. There are some, like, we got to get the doodad to go get the thing. You know, there's some MacGuffin going on there, with especially with the explosive briefcase. It's not um, really, like, one caper movie. It's, like, five It's, like, movies. five caper. You were commenting, like, I think this is the fifth mission they're on. <laughs> um, and then there's, of course, the mission to kill the traitor, which I think is probably the biggest link this movie has to Guns of Navarone. Correct. Where... I'm sure that subplot is a hell of a lot more interesting if you have seen that movie because it seems so flat on its face. It, it was just a seems flat kind of like yeah. Yeah. what are we what are we doing here? Like mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. it get resolves in a fairly satisfying manner and everything goes from point A to point B in a manner that makes sense and is logical and you can follow. But it's also, you know, I mean, spoilers for a 1978 movie. They also just shoot him in the back in a, in a, <laughs> it's pretty in a, simple, yeah. in a crowded box car. Like, it's not like they're on the cusp of succeeding at the operation and then he pulls a gun on them or something. And then it's, right. you know, oh, we've only got seconds until the Germans cross the bridge. Like, there's so, that, could, that third act could have so much more tension if it, he's mm-hmm. still part of them all the way up to, like, they're arming the charges. Yeah, you know? right. Like right. that, but they just they just blow his brains out in a boxcar. And I'm well, like, so okay, we've gotten right. spoiled, you know, not just in the CGI, but you know, the acting and the script writing has gotten sharper. Oh yeah, oh, God. over the decades, and so it for me here going back to the thesis of the podcast, you know, so for a Gen Xer to go back and watch some of this stuff that's you know pre Indiana Jones, pre CGI. It, it strikes me as I watch this stuff, it's more like, okay, this is just like an extra long episode of, you know, the goofy Wonder Woman show. Yeah. <laughs> there were all kinds of goofy TV shows where, of course, they don't have a big budget for explosions. And they're like, I remember watching the Rat Patrol as a kid and thinking that was a really cool World War II TV show. Yeah. And I found the first season on DVD used for four bucks yeah, a couple yeah. years ago. And so during COVID, I fired it up. And I watched maybe the first three or four episodes. It's the same three vehicles. They have three surplus vehicles. Nice, nice. And they just like repaint them and they try and show them going through different mountain passes in North Africa. But it's the same three vehicles, clearly. Excellent. (laughs) And so I'm watching, you know, what was a Hollywood release. I joke that this, you know, forced in from Navarone. It's a B movie now. It's a glorified TV show now. But, you know, it was actually a major release. Check your local newspaper for theater listings. Yeah. By the way, as a warm-up for this to get us back into kind of the review mindset, we watched like a bunch of trailers for this older stuff. Yeah. And I got to tell you, man, not to get us off too far on a tangent, but those trailers, they could not have whatever the opposite of sold me on a film. They could not have turned me <laughs> off from these movies. Like, I don't know if I'll ever see Guns of Navarone now because like, I'm Gregory Peck and I'm here to tell you about Guns of Navarone. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, 
I'm in a coma? I could, I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> they have crazy. trailers that are like mini speeches. They're like eight minutes long. It is like, it is a stump speech. It is yeah, like, you will weird. watch Guns I've Never Owned. I throw a local Cineplex in Technicolor. And I'm like, it's wild. Nope. I'm not clicking <laughs> that button. Thanks you very much. Um, but yeah, no. So, so it's Force 10 is. Different time. Different yeah, yeah. Time, no. I mean, time. Force 10 is a very valuable historical document. I think if you're really enjoying something like Andor, you really enjoy something like Chicken Run, you can look back at Force 10 from Navarone and say, okay, I understand what these things are taking inspiration from, distilling, and putting back out in a much more interesting manner. Yeah, probably, you know, if if we really had to recommend that you go back to a source material, you'd probably say The Dirty Dozen mm. or Kelly's Heroes are, are more well-regarded than this one, but... I think what Samuel and I are saying is just watch Andor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really. <laughs> Andor I mean, is the much better version. Andor has taken all of these lessons and added this really, really frightening and important dose of, here's what fascism is. It's, it's, yeah, whereas, you know, in these 70s World War II movies, it's just cartoon. Oh, right? yeah. The, no. the Germans, this is barely better than Hogan's Heroes, yeah. right? These guys are cartoons. There's no looking at them as human beings. And... So, or even what makes them scary? They're not even like scary. they're not even they're not even scary. Exactly, like you can go two so, directions with it. Either attempt to humanize them to show that fascism's allure can affect everyone, or go the exact opposite direction and say these people are inhumane. They are monsters. You show right. their atrocities, right. and the movie's just kind of like eh, they're Saturday morning cartoon bad guys, which isn't genuine in either manner. It's, right. It's there's it's, a there's a, the move that you and I really loved is <clears> when they're escaping. Like for the third time or something, they're escaping a third and escaping a Nazi base and whatnot, and they've killed one of the Nazi officers already. Yeah. But they prop his body up vertically, and his eyes are still open. And Harrison, you know, pinches a nerve or throws the arm over something to do the Hitler salute as they're driving by to get him out the gate. And it totally works. Like it totally works. <laughs> these these Nazi guards are just like, "Oh, that's an officer." Like it's And that's Scooby Doo stuff. It's Scooby Doo, <laughs> but like but that's why it works so well in something like Chicken Run, which is a comedy. Like they right. they saw right. all these Chicken Run took all these ridiculous moments, collected them into 1 hour and a half and that said, made them chickens. And made them chickens. It's so perfect. Oh my god, I love Chicken Run so much. <laughs> And well, so that's the thing is, like, if I talk to, like, another dad of my generation, right, a Gen X dad, they would be like, oh, yeah, I remember watching, you know, The Dirty Dozen with my dad. That movie's great. But they haven't watched it in a while, I'll bet you. And that's the whole point of the Review Podcast. I'm here to tell you today, there's actually very little difference between the cartooniness of Force 10 from Navarone and the cartooniness of Kelly's Heroes or the Guns of Navarone. It's all a ridiculous, very schlocky, just it it's an action movie. They're trying to make an action movie. They're not trying to talk about the humans. It's it's just goofy stuff. Yeah. We have much better things to watch now. Andor and Chicken Run among them. Yeah. I mean Andor and Chicken Run are distillations of these 70s heist World War II films with all-star casts just in wildly different directions. Andor is all tension, all action, all psychological drama with almost no jokes or anything to cut the tension even. you I mean, especially the latest right. episode that at the time of release as we're recording this podcast is the eighth episode of Andor that just came out. And anyone who's seen that knows 
You get no relief. That whole episode is just tension, 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 well, tension. Well, right. So when I watch these 70s ones, 70s ones again like we did today, it's in the middle ground. Yeah, it's, no. It's got goofy moments. It's, it's got action it's not... moments. And so if you want the humor, go to Chicken Run. If you want an actual tense action movie, yeah. you go to Andor. Yes. Yeah. No. And so, and, and to be f- fair to the, the time period that they are making this film in... It does kind of have to be a everything for everyone film because again, yeah. there's just a lot less films being made, a lot less films in Correct. theaters. Yes, you know, I was kind of shocked because again, this film comes out in '78. That's before the advent of the PG-13 rating. Correct. So well, here's what you got: you got G, and you got R. That's what you got. And so I'm sitting somewhere there. in the middle is PG. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, PG. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, yeah. sorry. But this movie's rated PG. We saw the trailer at the end where it says repeat. So they've and got. And we to, saw a lot more of Barbara Bach. Yeah, no, but they've got to find some way to uh, entertain the parents and the kids who are going to see yeah, this. It's pretty and, wild. But because because you're trying to appeal to everyone, you can't really appeal to anyone. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's all over it's the a, place. It's a soup. History yeah. buffs aren't gonna like this. People who are <laughs> no, looking for laughs no. aren't gonna like this. <laughs> but it does have a great ending. Oh, we, we love really, the ending. Oh, really, my God. <laughs> we do have to talk about the ending. Oh, my God. Because it harkens to like the really great endings, like at the end of John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, it reminded me a That's little a bit. That's a bold comparison, but I don't disagree. There's a very similar ending at the end of the Michael Caine heist movie, The Italian Job. Right where you sort of you've got this crew that you followed, and then you just leave them there. Like the action has ended, and there's no denouement. There's no like now they're at the airport, they're home, they're shaking hands, they're leaving each other. It is well, uh... we're on the wrong side of the bridge. <laughs> we're surrounded by Nazis. We're one of our guys is injured. Now well, what? We can't get help from the partisans anymore, and and. The credits start rolling. It was awesome. It's so awesome. You can tell they really wanted to make a third one of these movies. Oh, they so badly wanted to. But it didn't do well enough. And then somebody made Wild Geese. Oh, baby, they made Wild Geese. (laughs) So we're not going to get too far into it, folks. But after we finished our little jaunt with, uh, whatever, Chicken Force 5 or or the... (laughs) Force 10 from Navarone. I don't know why it's Force 10, by the way. I don't... Like, what happened to the other nine? They say that they sent two other missions before these guys, so they should really be Force 3 from Navarone. Or, if they're going by the number of people in the team originally, it should be, like, Force 12? Because I counted at least a dozen dudes jumping out of that plane? Anyway, I'm getting too technical because I'm trying to distract from the wild geese. So every genre has a life, right? You, oh, yeah. You've got the first blockbuster, like like Star Wars. As soon as Star Wars in 77 was a hit, then you had a whole run of movies trying to be that. Yep. Right? So you have this whole run, and some of the movies are better, some of them are worse. And then there's the genre killer. There's always something that stays too late to the party or is so bad the party ends. The Wild Geese, starring Richard Burton, as seen in Where Eagles Dare. Oh, God. And Sir Richard Harris, who was the first Dumbledore. And, and uh, is it Roger Moore, right? And Roger Moore, Roger Moore! In between his Bond movies, they play mercenaries. A little too old, but they get together one last time to go to... Africa. Oh, you can't even sit through the trailer. It's so embarrassing. It is is embarrassing. It is offensive. 
It would have been. It was offensive when it was released. There were people <laughs> protesting outside the theater when it was released. Somebody always stays too long or ruins the party for everybody else. For the for this, you know, brand of heist movie, it was the Wild Geese. For the buddy action '80s movie, it was Tango and Cash. There's yeah. always somebody who stays too long yeah. to the party, yeah. and you gotta leave while they're still having fun. So then the genre is dead until the children who grew up watching it say, "Hey, what if we made a heist escape movie but with chickens?" Yeah, or with Star Wars. Or with Star Wars. Yeah, no. It's, and that's it's, what we're getting now. And and that's I love what we're getting it. now, and it's much more nuanced and it's much more interesting. My personal verdict is that. Force 10 from Navarone is unfortunately not in the canon. I don't oh, think it's, it's... But these movies as a genre are something you should know about because if you just watch Andor without knowing anything about yeah. them, I don't think it has the same kind of impact. I think, man, see, I think I'll have to disagree because my whole argument to Andor is that you could show it to anyone who has a knowledge of the English language and they will find something to appreciate about. I mean, I've been trying to pitch people on it, but it's like, it's not a Star Wars show. You don't have to know anything about Star Wars. Mm. It's not a, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to know anything about, a, you know, just let it get, let, let yourself be swept up. You know, mm. I hate to sound like one of those stupid quotes on the back of the box of the DVD, but I mean, just go with it, man. Just let it go mm. and you'll be on a incredible ride it'll teach you something and and just go watch andor oh my god just go watch andor oh my god this is not a difficult podcast to make yeah yeah well i think we can agree on that but now i definitely want us to post this with the name chicken force 10 chicken force 10 absolutely so so we'll do uh in our classic naming style we'll do uh force 10 from navarone or a chicken flop I don't know. I don't know. Something. We'll do something. We'll do something there. Well, I um, just think, you know, yeah, we're not recommending this movie, but we did our homework to give you context for two movies that we do recommend. I will say, if we were to recommend one single scene from this movie, I'd be very interested in if you're going to... So, Because we're not slamming the film. Again, we're not saying it's worthless. But you got to take elements of it forward. And for me, the one scene that you take going forward that you hold on to is the scene of... Carl Weathers facing off against Harrison Ford, stopping them on the road. The horses are coming. Yeah, yeah. That's the, I mean, because you've got two future stars right there. And no, yeah. Harrison is not doing his job. Yeah. But Carl is doing his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I agree. That's good. That's, and, and that, that's that scene, scene is what we love. That's the yeah. human ant farm. That's, yep. that's yep. just humans interacting. That could be in Star Wars. They could be chickens. They could be soldiers in World War II. They could be anywhere. I did like the fight with the MPs. You know, I like a good MP fight. You like a good MP fight. That's true. <laughs> and I wish I wish the fight with the seven-foot-tall Jaws actor between him and Carl Weathers was better. Yeah. I wish I could recommend that. But unfortunately, the blocking and staging of that scene is so piss poor. That's bad. As to be embarrassing. So you've given me the chance to recommend yet again yeah, yeah. the knife fight between Carl Perkins, Mr. Don't Step on My Blue Suede Shoes, and David Bowie. There's a knife fight between two Rock Hall members in the movie... What is... Uh, actually, hold on. I have to remember it. It stars Jeff Goldblum, and it's like one of the first credits for Michelle Pfeiffer, Into the Night. Yeah. It's early 80s. It will. It's about Jeff Goldblum not getting to sleep. He has insomnia. You will feel like you have insomnia. Maybe we'll do a podcast about the whole movie. But all I'm here to tell you now is awesome knife fight between two rock and roll legends. Anyway, 
I'm Samuel. I'm Bentley. And this is the Re-View Podcast. Podcast.